1: The
2: Ravens are the number one seed in the AFC. Also, happy birthday to our co-host, Jace. Wait a minute, where is Jace? Oh, two-man booth this week on Pod Like a Raven. Yes, just two of us in the booth today. Jace Evans... Happy birthday to you, celebrating with the family traveling all over the West Coast so he will not be here today as we discuss the Ravens' victory on a bizarre Sunday night game against the Cleveland Browns. I am Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined by my co-host, the one, the only today on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, we were there. We were at the bank together, the two of us, spreading the good word of Pod like a raven. Uh, and boy, what a what a matchup we saw!
3: It, it was something, that's for sure. Um, you know, I've listened to all the the recaps and NFL shows and all that fun stuff today uh, on Monday as we record, and you you hear what a terrible Sunday night football game that was horrific. That was. I can't believe we had to watch that. That matchup, those two teams are going nowhere. All I know is that my quarterback threw four interceptions and is still better than Baker Mayfield and walked out of there with a victory. So, uh yeah, it was great to be back at the bank. Um it's been it's been probably about 2 years now since since being there. Uh, I had to I got to take the day off, which was nice to kind of rest and recover just a little bit uh before getting the work week started. So, fantastic. And my only other note here and we'll leave it here cuz we don't need to pick on him while he's away, but He didn't want to spend his birthday with us. We just, we're just going to flat out ignore that fact. I, Jace, if you're listening to this and let's, this will be a test. This will be a test. If Jace actually listens when he's not here, I'm a little bit offended, buddy. Just a little bit, just a little bit.
2: I think he was just preparing for an ugly AFC North game. And on his birthday, he didn't want to be here to have to talk about it, Um. That's a positive approach. That's a positive outlook that I'm going to have. Uh, but yeah, Jace, what would have been nice. would have been nice to have you here to, to celebrate with you uh, quite, kind of in person, but uh, we'll have to talk about that next week. This week, however, Ravens 16-10 to over the Cleveland Browns despite Lamar Jackson's best efforts, uh, as Tim mentioned, with the four interceptions. And the Ravens now 8-3 and three and have the number one seed in the AFC. I don't know what to make of this team. Every game, something new happens. And this game was Lamar Jackson throwing the four interceptions. Three of them seemingly all within about ten minutes as Tim and I are sitting uh, in, our, in our frigid seats trying to see if the Ravens can score some points before the end of the first half. And neither team wanted to score any points at the end of the first half with a 6-3 halftime score. Tim, I want to talk about Lamar. We're going to get to what this means for him, if this is part of larger issues, if this is just a a couple of deflections become two interceptions and, and then some other bad throws. But let's start with the good stuff. Because on the other side of the ball, we had a lot of positives from the defense and positives that lasted the entire game, Tim. We got 60 minutes of a unbelievable defensive performance from these Baltimore Ravens. No Calais Campbell in this game. was it Had a concussion suffered last week. He was not able to come back. They did add Brandon Williams, however, and he ended up being just a monumental addition, I guess, uh, with this Ravens defense stopping, first and foremost, the Browns' running attack uh, and then just the Browns in, in general and only giving up 10 points.
3: Yeah, um, the defense showed that when they don't give up the big play, they can be this consistently good. I mean, I think it's been their their one big bugaboo throughout throughout the entire season that we've covered over and over and over again here on Pod Like a Raven. But essentially, Wink Martindale, credit to him, came up with a great game plan. He said, we are going to stop the run. We are going to stop this team that has averaged 156.8 rushing yards per game. 156.8. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both back, by the, while. by the way. We haven't seen them both back together in a, in a very long time. And they got held to 40 yards rushing. Wink Martindale said, we're going to do everything we can, even without Calais Campbell, to step up and stop this run game. They did that, and because of that, and because of kind of what they call selling out to stop the run, they said Baker Mayfield beat us. Baker Mayfield, woe is me, injured Baker Mayfield beat us, and he couldn't do it because he's a terrible quarterback and Cleveland's going to be stuck in me. I've been telling you this for the longest time here on this podcast. I don't want to hear about the shoulder. I don't want to hear about the the injuries. Uh, Jarvis Landry's dad is the latest one to get on Facebook and complain about the quarterback. Just guess they're going to ship him out of town now too, just like they did Odell. They bet on Baker Mayfield to beat them, and it was a... Damn good bet from Wink Martindale, and I thought the defense, I mean, we'll talk about some individual guys here, but um, I thought, you know, they were outstanding. They were outstanding the entire game.
2: The Browns, with a little bit of life on their first possession, end up missing a field goal, I think it's 45 yards, and then after that, punt, punt, fumble, field goal, fumble, punt. That's how they go into halftime. Punt, and then finally the one touchdown touchdown. Uh, that they do score where I, I still I still swear that uh the ball bounced off the turf instead of off of uh David Njoku's knee.
3: As did the guy in front of us, by the way. There was a guy in front of us who was extremely upset uh at that play call or at that uh, decision by Jerome Bogar and the referee team. I should There
2: say. were some characters in our section, Tim. Uh
3: good old Baltimore Ravens. No
2: very well not people we were with, uh just people in the sort of surrounding area uh, there were some calls for Tyler Huntley at a certain point, which I thought were sarcastic and then learned were not sarcastic. Uh, he wanted Huntley in for some running plays. He wanted both quarterbacks in at the same time, like we used to do with Joe Flacco and Troy Smith, and that's a direct quote. Uh, to Troy Smith, I think a random raven at one point.
3: He was, yes. Uh,
2: so yeah, so you, you hear some things in, uh, in those sections of, of M&T Bank, but overall defensively just an outstanding performance that was capped on the last possession that the Browns had and this is something that Tim said as we were in the stadium no sort of stress inducing drive just go out on the field with a touchdown lead and just go four and out and end the game right there with Mayfield first incompleting passes where the members of the Ravens secondary were like glue on all those receivers they were all catchable balls that just sort of got batted away and knocked down and then the fourth and ten, which is our favorite thing. What do you do on fourth and ten when you have a minute left and you need a touchdown? Throw the ball four yards and have your player get tackled uh, for a gain of seven, and that ended the game. So it was sort of the perfect, the final drive encapsulated how the team had performed all game, and it was so nice to see to not have the letdown drive. I mean, they gave up one touchdown, okay, but they to not have the late letdown drive, drive, let the team get back into it, give the Cleveland offense confidence. It was just consistency all the way around. I guess Brandon Williams is just this indispensable asset. I I don't think he's had a great, boy, couple of seasons. I don't think he's been a dominant force over the last few years. He's been banged up a lot this year, obviously, but having him in there, I mean, there was just nowhere for Hunt or Chubb to go all game. Constant one-yard runs or knocked down in the backfield. A lot of penetration from different guys. And let's get into some of the specific guys because one that I have to mention because of the criticism we've given him is Patrick Queen, who looked so solid, albeit one one missed tackle that Tim and I spotted uh, on the sideline. I think on a
3: we had a critical eye. The we had to, a critical eye. Yeah, yeah.
2: But he was all over the field, flying east and west getting penetration, cutting through the line to get backs in the backfield. An awesome game from Patrick Queen. Tim, uh, what did you think of Queen's performance, and who else did you like uh, from defensive performance?
3: I thought Queen was a, was a, um, not my personal standout, but one of the top two, three guys uh, on defense uh, on Sunday Night Football. You just forget – when, when he's trying to shoulder guys or he's missing tackles, like he had done consistently, you know, earlier in the year. And the, I think the criticism was, was fair. I don't think it was – you know, it could have been overblown a little bit. And you're always going to have your homers that anytime you criticize a player for more than two weeks in a row because they're playing poorly, they're going to get all pissed off at you, and that's fine, whatever. I mean, everybody can be fans how they want to be fans. But you forget about Queen's quickness and his ability to close gaps and his ability to – I mean, there was one or two plays where he shot in the backfield like an effing cannon, and there's just nothing you can do to stop him. No offensive lineman's going to be able to get to him in time, and and when he does those things, he has to make tackles, and that is exactly what he did. Um, For me, though, the guy who really stood out for my end was Tyus Bowser, uh, a guy that you know we've talked about. He's the outside linebacker that got paid, and I want to get to that in just a second, but... He, You know, not necessarily your premium pass rusher, but was all over the field on Sunday, making plays. He made the final tackle on that. You know, Baker could only throw it seven yards rather than actually get a first down on fourth down to end the game. Open field tackle on Njoku by Tyus Bowser, which is a critical thing there to only get the I think it was like the seven yards or whatever it was. I think he finished. He finished here. uh, Just reading from Jeff Suribak from The Athletic. Four tackles, a sack. Three quarterback hits, should have been four. The roughing the passer that Tyus Bowser got was absolutely egregious. Doesn't hit him high. Doesn't hit him high. Hits him in stride about a millisecond after the guy let the ball go. It's just that rule has to change. I'm sorry. I'm done protecting quarterbacks that much. I get protecting quarterbacks to an extent. The roughing the passer thing has to change. It's an absolute farce. But anyway, he finished with three. Should have had four. Had a pass deflection as well. Um, and yeah, he was the guy that got after uh, Tyus Bowser on third down and rushed Baker into an incompletion. He's the guy, like as I said, that made the open field tackle on Njoku to effectively end the game. And this is a guy that was asked to step up in a role. You know, he is a Ravens defender that got the second contract. That doesn't happen for a lot of guys now. You know, not the premium position, not not the Jets idiotically spending $80 million on a middle linebacker in C.J. Mosley or anything like that. But Tyus would have had a market, and he was one of three outside linebackers that left. The other two that left, and let's talk, I mean, look, first of all, I just, I just want to break down these numbers for you for just a second. And people thinking about this, remember, Bowser is more your all-around player. For me, he's more of your Jarrett Johnson. He's a guy that can set the edge. He can stop the run. He can play in pass coverage. He's not your premium pass rush specialist, whatever it is. Four years, $22 million, $12 million guaranteed. Pretty team-friendly contract for a guy who's supposed to be a consistent starter on this defense for the next four years, you would think. Matt Judon. I'm going to move by this very quickly because I don't really want to say it. Matt Judon's been very good this season. That's it. Judon, four years, $54.5 million, $32 million guaranteed. Again, 54.5, same amount of years, 54.5 compared to 22, 32 million guaranteed compared to 12. I'll have to pull up the ages for you here in just a second, but Judon's played well. He's playing out that contract good for him. That's a lot of money for a guy that, you know, in my opinion, was inconsistent at best in Baltimore. Now, here's the funny one, the one that I had to look this up today and just made me laugh, laugh out loud. Yannick Ngakwe, who... We all thought it was going to solve problems for the Ravens, be the Marcus Peters at the trade deadline 2.0 thing. Obviously didn't work out. He ends up going to Las Vegas. Two years. Two years. Remember, Tyus Bowser, four years. Ngakwe, two years. $26 million compared to the 22 over four for Tyus Bowser. And compared to Tyus's 12 million guaranteed over four years. $22 million guaranteed over two years for Yannick Ngakwe and, and that Las Vegas Raiders team. I'm not going to call it a flat-out win because obviously Judon's been great. I don't think he does the same thing here. I don't think the Ravens can afford to pay him what they put New England paid him. That's a whole different conversation. But another brilliant move by this, by this organization to keep a guy who they've invested time in, they believe is progressing, and is still at that level where they can kind of pay him a contract that isn't cap-breaking but we know the guy is going to be a solid contributor, and he proved that on Sunday night.
2: Judon 29, Bowser is 26. Three yep. years younger Take that. also. Tim, I completely forgot that they had re-signed, extended, let's say extended Bowser, re-signed, whatever. And it's fantastic. It is the right price for what he had done to that yep. point as an NFL player, but he's still getting better. He does so many things. It's the most Ravens signing... Ever, if they are going to keep a guy, it's that type of player at the right price for four years. Who can they? You know, they're going to want him to do three, four different things. And if he develops into that fantastic pass rusher, that's just bonus. Uh, he has five and a half sacks at this point, halfway through the season, could end up having double digit sacks as sort of the second fiddle pass rusher, let's say, to mm-hmm. Odafe Owe. Yep. Um, and it it just could be such a good. Pairing uh, on the outside with two young guys, and I think Tyus Bowser could still keep improving. I don't, I don't think he's sort of plateaued uh, as a player with all the different roles that that he that he can bring this defense. I mentioned in the preview of this Browns game that I was almost more concerned with the tight ends because of how the Ravens were going to be able to match up, and they had a couple of catches. Harrison Bryant had a couple of three catches for 50 yards, and Joker had three catches and a touchdown. But the mix of Bowser, and then they had Chris Board, the guy we love bringing up. Every mm-hmm. fourth game, Chris Board comes in and, and does some good things. Kristen Welch was playing. The, those were the guys. The, the, the secret linebackers, Tim, oh that we God. didn't know uh, could match up well with tight ends, and, and that was able to sort of stifle uh, stifle that, that unit for Cleveland.
3: Yeah, I want to pick up on your OA point, too, because I think OA, for me, is the other – for me, one of the other standout guys. Obviously, forces a fumble – During and I don't want to we don't have to do this because I don't want it to get lost and I don't I don't want to ramble. I don't want to go off on tangents, but you did skip over it a little bit. And we do need to bring this up before I get back to away. Here we go. None of these drives lasted lasted longer than uh, 90 seconds. This is the end of the first half after the Ravens have a field goal to make it six. Nothing fumble. Browns interception. Ravens field goal. Browns interception. Ravens fumble. Browns. Interception Ravens, three play- three and out punt Browns, end of half, taking a knee for the Ravens. The worst stretch of football I have ever seen in my entire life. And we're going to get to Lamar Jackson, obviously, because I know Antonio wanted to start positive. That end of the half there was egregious, and maybe we'll have time to expand on it a little bit. Anyway, apologies. I just That had to be covered here. People were going to yell at us. Oh, wait for me, is the guy that and we'll see the trajectory, is the guy that you pay the pass rusher money to. And then you have Bowser, and it's like you said, exactly right. Second, second pass rusher, but also the guy who kind of does it all. Complimentary piece. Owe is a defensive end who stands up sometimes. Tyus Bowser is a linebacker who does everything, and with that Swiss Army knife tool set can also rush the passer. Um, I thought Owe was disruptive the entire night. Watching him and, and seeing him live, too. You just get shades of—I wouldn't even say Suggs because he—and—and and it has been a few years since Terrell Suggs, you know, donned that uniform. God bless him. But I can't find a Ravens comparison for Owe because he's just a physical freak. He is a—he looks bigger than everybody else, just taller, kind of wider, cyborgish. You know, he's not overly thick or anything like that. He's still a rookie. He's obviously a big dude. Uh, but compared to like the tackles and stuff he's going against, but then you watch him rush, rush the passer and it's, he gets off the line faster than most people. He is power and speed and everything you want. And the guy is still learning how to play football. So for me, it's, you know, I, he was great again. I think he is one of the front runners for defensive rookie of the year. I really do. Um, just based on how how he's performed. And, you know, we watch him every week compared to some of the people that vote that only watch TikToks and highlights and things like that. But I really love what he did, what he continues to do. For me, it's him Queen and and Bowser. And I, and I just love your point of if the Ravens did this right, they got their extra first round pick for a guy who wanted to be a left tackle who was proving that he's not a left tackle in Orlando Brown Jr. They used that to make it to get rid of a 29 year old pass rusher, Matthew Judon to basically bring bring in his replacement to be more effective than him as the number one, I'm actually going to sack the quarterback guy. And so far it's working out.
2: Oh wait, just caving in the right side of the Browns offensive line, play after play after play. And he, I don't have the, like the pure just rush numbers. You know, I only have the sack numbers in front of me, but Mayfield five to 10 times in this game, as that right side was collapsing had to move away couldn't set his feet you know he, he's obviously not the most uh, let's say comfortable quarterback with, with with an unclean pocket I was gonna say uh, anything as, complimentary you could have said there and
3: it would have been it would have made sense to me
2: uh he, he's he's not so comfortable with the progressive commercials uh, even though they give him 8,000. but as the the line would collapse and he would have to adjust and he'd get off his spot and that was just such an impactful game from oA even without having uh, you know, five sacks in a game. They just such an impact that I think we will see from him, hopefully, for years and years to come. And then there were no blown coverages, Tim. The defense tackled. They didn't have miscommunications, they didn't have blown coverages. This is what our defense can look like if we just do the little things right, have a cohesive game plan. It was nice to see Averett back on, on the field mm-hmm. uh, as that number two corner. Humphrey had a great game. He was always cloaked uh, on every receiver that he was covering. Um, Another ridiculous call, in my opinion, when they called the the pass interference against him for doing the same coverage that he does on every single down where he's more physical than your average corner, but it's deemed legal on 95% of plays and then they threw a flag on that. But Just stout across the board from the Ravens defensively um, in a performance that that defense had to have. Because the offense, if we're ready to turn to that, had some issues, and they start at the quarterback position. Lamar four interceptions in this game, sacked twice, uh, a QBR of twenty-five. Which, for those who don't know what QBR is, twenty-five is not good. Uh, <laughs> you want to be up in the in the sixties and seventies uh, for QBR. Did some things with his legs. He did have sixty-eight yards on seventeen carries, but it just a tough game for him. One of the one of the worst of his career with the turnovers, Tim. So, I'm going to bring this up, actually. Four interceptions. Looks terrible. Two of them, you know, one is on a tip ball, and the other one is where Mark Andrews basically helped the defender catch the ball, not meaning to, by throwing in a hand. Or is this just... No. They were all bad throws, and some bad throws get intercepted, but he didn't have to make any of them, basically.
3: Yeah, this this is where... And I love these Raven fa- Ravens fans as well. And, you know, uh, we, we we I wouldn't even say jest. Jason and I, and he's not here to speak for himself, but I can confidently speak for him and say, we are more pessimistic fans than most. And I, 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 I'm fully ready to wear that label as I say this, but I think sometimes there is the cult of Lamar Jackson with, with Ravens fans where God love him. We all love him. I love him to death. He is already one of my favorite Ravens of all time. And frankly... There have been a lot of Ravens that have done more impressive things, a.k.a. win Super Bowls, than he has at this moment in time. But but I am not hearing from anybody today, any fan that is always positive spin, anybody that's like, well, look at this team just grinding out victories. And look, I'm happier than anybody that we beat the Cleveland Browns. If you can maybe tell in my voice, maybe you can't tell. I don't know. We'll find out in the recording later as you listen to this. I am straining right now to talk on this podcast because I was screaming and yelling so much. And the man I'm talking to right now is sitting right next to me. He can attest to it. I was very loud. I, and I wanted nothing more than to beat Cleveland. It felt so good. But I'm not having the narrative that some of these weren't all, like, oh, well, maybe this one was deflected. This was objectively Lamar Jackson's worst football game as a professional. And the the interceptions are egregious. And if if, you know... Quarterbacks usually give Rolexes to their offensive line at the end of the year or whatever. First of all, this offensive line doesn't deserve those this season. If I'm Lamar, I'm at least at the very, the very least treating my entire defense to Jimmy seafood after that, because it was, we are open for sponsorship, by the way, Jimmy seafood. (laughs) It, it was bad. It was just a horrible, horrible game from Lamar Jackson. It was one of the first times in this, new Lamar era I won't say I won't say his rookie year when he was taken over and they're still trying to figure out things it's the first time in this Lamar Jackson era as he you know the MVP season onwards that I didn't trust him I didn't trust him whatsoever every time he dropped back to pass I was nervous which is not usually a thing with him hell every time that he took a snap and handed it off I was worried that he might fumble because he was just that excuse me he was that bad and I yeah I, this is a long, rambling way to say, yes, all of these were on him. Um, I am not going to hear the argument for, oh, well, you know, it was deflected, or, oh, there was, th- th- there's nothing he could have done on that throw. No, he shouldn't have made the reads that he made. And, and the, the two that uh, – you point out the deflection and you point out the, the one that Andrews, quote-unquote, helps him with, the defender with. That's fine. Even if you want to argue that those two aren't his fault, the other two are so bad – and so much worse than any interception I've ever seen that those are like double points and I'm just going to label those as four anyway on their own because they were ba- that bad to end it in a positive spin which I know is rare I also believe that Lamar is the type of guy that is going to improve from this everything you heard you know they're talking about in the post game presser he wasn't happy he was pissed off that he had to that this is how this game turned out for him he was upset about the performance and he Basically said, thank you, defense. You guys won us this game, and he is absolutely right. Him and the offense did nothing to win this football game, and it was all on the defense for me. And um, you know, you only hope he can improve, and I, I absolutely think and believe that he will, just because of the type of player and the type of worker he is.
2: He went twenty for thirty-two with one hundred and sixty-five yards, one touchdown, and four interceptions. Of those one hundred and sixty-five. Passing yards. 52 of them came on the two big throws of the yeah. game, which were on the same drive. Yeah. One, which is basically a 10 yard underthrown deep ball to Mark Andrews that he comes back to and gets the pass interference and somehow still catches it with one hand, which it has been nice. We, we've seen a stark increase in pass interference uh, calls from our receivers, but that was a 40 yard play where it's an underthrow where he's scrambling and throws it off of his back foot. And then the touchdown pass, I mean, it looked good, I guess, but it was a ball that was 10 yards short. Andrews was on the back of the end zone and had to run all the way to the front of the end zone to catch it. That could have been an interception just as easily. I mean, he's, you know, Jackson is backpedaling like 15 yards, running for his life, and still tries to do the, you know, they were on like the 13-yard line, but the, the throw at that point is like a 30-yard pass off of his back foot that I thought was going to be a disaster, but I suppose Andrews had a, a ton of room there, a ton of space. But those two throws were, both of them, probably ill-advised, were really the two chunk passes that he had the entire game. Everything else was either ugly or small stuff underneath. I'm going to use that as a pivot to the one of the few offensive positives. Uh, I thought Hollywood Brown had... A game that will not get a lot of attention, but is the like a professional performance from him. He had eight catches for 51 yards. He had no deep catches. The long for him was 11 yards, nothing down the sidelines. It was all, or at least the vast majority to my memory, were catches inside the hash marks, getting the eight yards, getting the seven yards, getting the first downs, trying to turn up field quickly to get a few extra yards. And those are the kind of games that you need him to have sometimes. It's not always going to be Hollywood with a 50 yard touchdown catch. He has to have these games where he's doing the dirty stuff inside to turn second and tens into third and twos, to turn third and sevens into first downs. His last catch is on their last drive where the Ravens are up three. Uh, and it's kind of, I mean, they're in Tucker's field goal range. I think it was going to be like a 53 yard attempt um, but it's third and 11 and they get a few extra yards they get like a three yard or four yard completion which does not seem like much but it was a tough catch he had to like extend his hands in traffic bring it in and then turn up field and he got like four yards and it made the field goal a 49 yard field goal attempt instead of 53 and Tucker drills it and those are the small things that I'm happy to see him do in a game where so little else was working offensively for this team.
3: Yeah, I mean, you look at the stats, his longest catch was 11 yards. And that's tells you all you need to know. Like just like you said, he was doing he was doing the stuff inside, he was moving the chains. Another guy who I'm with you. I mean, I think Rashad Bateman has it's stood out to me so much and just watching him watching him live and it's a little it's a little thing and look hand up. We definitely had a couple beers before the game. We're ready. We're excited. We're getting loud. We're getting hype. We're in there. We're at The light show and the wristbands and all that fun stuff was going on. So you're not breaking down the game film or anything, but watching that guy make some catches in traffic. I think he had one where he basically sat in a zone and Lamar fired it into him. And it, it was a third down, I believe, or maybe a second down to convert to first down. And there was like two or three defenders that crunched into Bateman like immediately as he caught it and I my immediate thought was oh he dropped it because I'm used to the Ravens receivers doing that Bateman comes up with the catch first down Ravens and I looked at Antonio I was like this guy makes those grabs like th- this is something that we have and so I thought he was impressive again um four for 31 you know n- nothing crazy obviously but continuing to provide another weapon for Lamar Jackson um outside of Mark Andrews who stepped up big we don't you know Everybody's mentioned that. And then, yeah, like you said, Hollywood, who was definitely the standout for what he did in in the, I don't know, family show. I don't know any other way to put it. The dirty area of the field, not just blowing the top off the defense.
2: You know, when you have a game like this, Tim, uh, where your offense only scores 16 points and has – is it just four turnovers, right? We didn't have a fumble. Yeah. So, where your offense has four turnovers – you need some help from the other side. Um, and the Browns, the Browns-Browns, I feel like, every week in, in some way or, or, or form. And they browns uh, in this Sunday night game, which I love. Yeah, Tim. Uh, NBC thought they were going to get the Ravens-Browns of Monday night of the, the year before. Game. The poop game! The 47-45 or 47-42, whatever that score was. Nah, this is a different season, uh, and it's been two different teams, so you get the 16-10, to 10, but... The Browns browsing and I got a couple of things that I have to talk about. Missing a field goal on the first drive of 45 yards. Tucker didn't miss any field goals. He drilled all of his. This was fantastic. The Browns have 12 men on the field. The refs throw a flag. And then there's the classic bailout of, no, 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 no. The Browns called timeout before we threw the flag, so there's no 12 men. Fantastic. TV timeout. They show Tucker the... Pup, uh, adopt a pup or whatever. He's going to be like a service animal and the crowd goes wild. And they go back to the game. Browns come out of the huddle and they have 12 men again. And they throw a penalty. The rarely seen 12 men timeout, 12 men from the Browns. (laughs) They they tried to, and this is sort of, if I were a Browns fan, it would be this stuff that drives me crazy. They had Jarvis Landry against the Lions run a trick play where he was the quarterback and it wasn't there. So he scrambled and scored a fricking touchdown on a 20 yard scramble. So of course they do the same thing the following week because in the world of the NFL, it's no way, there's no chance that the Ravens hadn't seen that on film and prepared for it, but no, they try to do it again. Landry has nowhere to throw. So he tries to hold, he pulls a Baker Mayfield. And I wish Jace were here for this because he's brought this up multiple times. He pulls a Baker Mayfield in, a rusher sort of zooms past him, and then he just forgets that he exists. So Jarvis Landry holds and holds and holds, and that pass rusher comes on back, and it's Odafeowe strip-sacking the hell out of Jarvis Landry, and the play doesn't work. You can do that once in a season, maybe once in a month. You can't do it on back-to-back weeks. The NFL is too good for that. And then the last one is Baker Mayfield just dropping a ball on his own while trying to throw it. It is always uh, high comedy for those of us who don't like the Browns and don't like ba- Baker Mayfield. Uh... So those things help uh, in a game where you had interceptions on three consecutive possessions. Or, or... Yeah, oh yeah, interceptions on three consecutive possessions. You need those extra mistakes from your opposition to, make it a, to keep it a close game, and it kept it 6-3 at halftime, and then the Ravens able to pull this out.
3: I'm, all I all I hear is bump 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 da 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 the curb curb your enthusiasm theme. Just listening to the Browns browsing over and over and over again. Um I can't imagine what it's like to be a Browns fan, and I hope I never have to. Um, You know that is a that is a seventh ring of hell type of situation to be in if you're supporting that Cleveland Browns franchise. Don't forget uh, right before the 12 men stuff was the Ravens successfully ran a fake punt. And then Jerome Bogar said it was too fast. And they basically called that entire thing back. And then it was 12 men. And then it was 12 men again for the Cleveland Browns after a timeout. I mean, not even Dan Campbell screws up that bad. And well, almost maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's comparable, but that's saying something if you're a Cleveland Browns fan. Oh uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, Maybe I'm just piling on and I've done this, I've I've danced this dance and, and maybe people that listen to this think this is a character. No, I dislike this franchise this much and the hatred is real and for me, I find no more joy. I think the only thing from a Ravens perspective that would make me happier is to win the Super Bowl than to watch Baker Mayfield consistently, consistently screw up like this for this Browns franchise who... I have to hear about on a national scale over and over and over again. And, you know, look, not to beat a dead horse here because we have to do this again in two weeks. They get a bye week. We have to play the Steelers. That's super fun. Thanks, NFL. Um, keep telling keep telling us that, you know, the Browns, oh, everything is so bad for the poor Browns. Oh, no, what are they going to do? I hope they sign Baker to a lifetime contract. I hope they're stuck in mediocrity forever. But the one thing I will say on on a, on a more serious note is I do think The media and I'm sure, you know, the people within the NFL are starting to realize that, well, one, uh, nobody's good. And that's, that's kind of maybe the Packers. Outside of that, I don't think anybody in the NFL is that good. I'm not here to hear the New England narrative quite yet. And we'll have to get to them in a second. But on top of that, that the Browns are bad, that the Browns are not a Super Bowl contender, that the Browns are pushing for maybe a playoff spot because the AFC is so diluted. And we should treat them as such, not... You know, as as Dennis Green said, and I'll mute, I'll censor myself here a little bit, just because we are a family show. Crown their butts, um, as they, they he infamously ranted uh, when the Cardinals played the Bears a few years ago. God rest his soul.
2: I want to add one more thing, and I'm I'm annoyed by it. Um,
3: what's bothering Ravens, Antonio?
2: This is what's this is what's bothering Antonio. The Ravens on their second possession. It's a three nothing game. It's fourth and two from their own 33-yard line. They bring out the punt unit, as Tim mentioned, and I turn to Tim and I go, fake punt, because it just seemed like it. It seemed like the right spot. You nailed it. it. The right down distance, and the, the last syllable has just been uttered, and they run a fake punt successfully, and then they throw this. You know, the the players weren't ready. The Ravens are too efficient at offense. And the play doesn't count and I'm annoyed because I wanted that to stand in Ravens football lore and instead the play wasn't, it's not an official play and I don't like it that they don't, I don't get to say now for the rest of my life that I called the Ravens fourth and two fake punt play. Um, And that's what's bothering uh, Antonio. That's it. That's all I have to say about this game. A lot of ugly things, but that's what uh, in the end bothered me the most.
3: I have one quick thing that we should mention. Um, The Ravens... And this is something we'll talk about in previews, I guess, as well. And we talk about throughout the season. You know, we talk about a dominant offense um, that they've had for the last couple of years. And obviously, this has not been this year. It's been a weird grind it out, find crazy ways to win, whether it's a record-breaking field goal or Tyler Huntley beating the Bears. The Ravens still lead the league in time of possession. And it's pretty significant. Uh, Right now, they average 33 uh, minutes, 47 seconds in time of possession. Over a minute over the next best team, which is the Green Bay Packers, as we mentioned before, 32 minutes, 29 seconds for them. Again, the Ravens found a way to hold on to the football, even when it doesn't seem like they have the ball as much as they used to back in the 14-2 like, the days from a couple seasons ago. 37 minutes to 23 last night. And so, you know, even when you throw four picks, uh, what is the stat coming around on Twitter, teams were 0-275-1, in the Super Bowl era, when they scored fewer than 17 points, had fewer than 325 total yards, and threw at least four interceptions. 0-275-1. Now it is 1, 275 and 1-275-1. Um, one, because the Browns are bad, but two, because you're able to hold on to the football for long periods of time, which will always, always help you win football games if you can.
2: Good times in Cleveland, again.
3: Still Cleveland! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to move off
2: this game and turn now to the rest of the AFC North, because with this Ravens victory, the Ravens 8-3, and three, they have a one-game lead in the AFC North to the 7-4 and four Cincinnati Bengals, who put on a performance hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers, winning 41-10 in a game that was exactly as close as 41-10 sounds. Cincinnati up by 7 after the first quarter, up by 28 at halftime, and then just never looked back. The Steelers dominated, Tim, really in every facet, but the stuff that has stood out is Ben Roethlisberger, as it usually does uh, in a Steelers loss. He was picked off twice, he fumbled twice, he was sacked three times. Enough people are talking about Ben Roethlisberger, but he just, he looks, I mean, he is, what, 38 now? He looks older than that at the quarterback position if you can say he looks 48 it's just everything is slow he can't get outside the pocket he can't I mean he had one good deep throw to, to chase Claypool but everything is just like an old man playing football when they have the ball and then the Bengals offensively is almost is the inverse everything is fast everything is quick there's talent. Exploding off the field everywhere on that offense, Mixon averaged uh, the running back Joe Mixon averaged six yards per carry against a good Steelers defense. Joe Burrow was twenty of twenty four. Uh, Jamar Chase made some some good plays, and I mean it's just explosive. And I'm a little concerned. Uh, I'm a little concerned about this Bengals team breathing down the necks uh, of the Baltimore Ravens. So I don't know how much you watched uh, of the of this game, but. What are your thoughts on Bengals uh, beating the Steelers?
3: I saw a decent amount of it. Um, You know, before throwing it back to you, because I do have a question for you, um, frankly, because I don't really know the answer quite yet. Yeah, the Roethlisberger stuff, he is 39, by the way. It's just such a weird thing because they're basically held over a barrel on Roethlisberger because I think if he wants to come back next year, they just have to say, okay, unless it continues to be this poor and they find some way to force his retirement or trade him or something but he's got a massive cap number i don't know it's a, and what do you do with a legend like that who's won two super bowls for you whatever it is very weird to me um i and i'll talk about this in the preview a little bit i hate that they had this stinker right before playing the ravens that's super fun cuz you know how that's going to go but for me it's the defense the Steelers' defense was supposed to win them games this year because we all knew Roethlisberger was going to struggle a little bit. They gave up, you mentioned Joe Mixon, six yards per carry. They gave it to him 28 times, quick math or reading ESPN, 165 yards on the ground, 198 yards on the ground, and 38 total carry, carries. The team itself averaged 5.2 yards per carry. Joe Burrow didn't have to do too much after that. He went 20-24, 190 yards, a touchdown, and he did have an interception. It's the Bengals, so he was sacked twice, but was efficient enough and did all he needed to after the defense here couldn't stop the run. And that was supposed to be the formula for the Steelers. Play good defense, do enough on offense to win games, and it is not working for them. My question to you, Antonio, is who does this say more about? Because I just can't forget that the Bengals lost to the Jets, right? they beat the brakes off of the ravens and then we all knew there was going to be a slip up game obviously and it and it happened they are 7 and 4 right now the steelers get their doors blown off again it's the first time i believe since 2009 they've been swept by cincinnati uh losing twice in the same season 5-5 five, five, and one now that one being a draw to the fighting dan campbell's up in detroit who does this loss or win or result however you want to put it say more about pittsburgh or cincinnati
2: uh this has been how this season has gone for me Tim. I have no idea because yeah. I don't know what to make of any game and any matchup of teams. The Bengals had that loss against the Jets that I'm just I guess gonna call the Mike White game, you know, maybe it was a quarterback they didn't have a lot of time to prepare for in his first start and then he was frisky and had his had his moment. They got blown out the next week at home against the Cleveland Browns. They lost 41-16 at home against the Cleveland Browns. And then they've since won two games by 20 points and then by 30 points. I, I don't know. I, I think it is a year of just try to stack as many wins as you can, get into the postseason, and then we'll see what the hell happens there, basically. I think this is a take-care-of-business win for Cincinnati at home against a division rival. Like These are the important ones that you had to have, and, and they take the the home game. I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know based on how all of these performances have gone seemingly across the NFL as a whole, not just the AFC North. I don't I don't know what you would you would say. That maybe the Bengals caught Roethlisberger on like a bat. He woke up feeling sore, you know, with, with the arthritis that he has in his hip and his shoulder and they uh, capitalized on that. I, I don't know because I don't know how the Bengals were able to get six yards of carry from Joe Mixon against the Steelers defense. So things don't make sense in the NFL. They don't make sense to me. And a week from now, the Bengals who play the chargers next, they can lose by 20, uh, you know, at, at home to the chargers. And it would not totally shock me.
3: So, yeah, I think my answer is the Steelers only slightly and only because of the defense, because I think it shows that, man, maybe this defense just isn't what it's supposed to be. And because we already kind of know what the offense is for the Bengals. Like you said, because it's so up and down and because it's just the Bengals, like we know, there's just teams. The Browns are like this for me too. And, you know, hatred aside and everything, it's just the stink, the gunk, the funk, the the, the, the Bengals jersey, that stadium. I'm just, I'm used to bad. And I just still think that's going to happen. And for me, I don't necessarily know is this, this is the, oh, we know they're good game. Now look, they, they, they beat the brakes off the Ravens, although I don't think that score, you know, purple tinted glasses, whatever you want to call it. Score was a lot more than what the actual game was. They did beat the Vikings. they have beaten the Steelers twice, as we mentioned. Um, Very close game against the Packers. Uh, And then they beat the Raiders in Las Vegas, which is something the Ravens couldn't do. So, you know, credit to them, I guess. But coming up, as you mentioned, they have the Chargers. They have the 49ers. They're at the Broncos. The Ravens again. And then they end it with uh, home against the Chiefs and at Cleveland, which could be a massive game in the playoff race. So I only say the Steelers because – since he has a lot of lot of prove it games here coming up towards the end
2: they could literally lose out and yeah. i don't think it would be the the craziest thing that has happened this yeah. 100%. season all of those games will be tough it's helpful it's nice to see that not only the ravens have sort of that really tough back half of the schedule especially when the bengal's are right behind them in the standings so i i i don't know i they'll win a couple of these they'll i think they're going to end up winning two or three and losing three or four and end up with a like the frisky wild card team that then is like nobody wants to play the Bengals and then we'll see you know, they could essentially drop lay an egg in their first playoff game because they're a new team to the postseason but they're ecstatic with the seven and four record they it's sort of historical that they've beaten I think they've beaten the Steelers three times in a row now which is something they haven't done in in decades I believe so good for them but we will see. We will see what happens next week for them against the Chargers, and we will see what happens for them over the, next, over the next two months. But let's turn now to other teams in the NFL, Tim. I'm not sure which games you watched, but the premier matchup of the weekend, Packers, Rams, in Green Bay. You and I both sort of uh, cried to ourselves that we didn't take advantage of the Packers as home dogs, where they were one-point underdogs in this game and absolutely took control early, had a 5th I'm going to say 15, 20-point lead on the Rams, and then held on. The final score makes it seem closer than it really was. The Packers were sort of in control for the vast majority. And I got another what's bothering Antonio. There's no Jace this week, so I, we, we get extra Double what's up. bothering Antonio. I love how quickly the narrative on Matt Stafford has changed now Three with this three-game losing streak. When he was traded in the offseason... I don't know how many 10,000-word features were written about how this trade happened and everybody's in Cabo having a good time and how cool this whole deal was and this is going to be a transformative move for McVeigh. He has his guy. Matt Stafford has a 12-year track record of mediocrity. And I get that wins... Well, I get. Some people say wins are not a quarterback stat... Over 12 years, I think, wins are quarterback stat. And Matt Stafford has struggled against good teams forever. And when I say struggled, he's been horrendous. And I have some numbers to back it up. This is a, a really one of my favorite NFL stats to throw out. And this is that Matt Stafford, over his career, is 9-72 against teams with a winning record. Jesus. Over a now 13-year career. 12 years in Detroit and half a season in L.A. 9 wins and 72 losses. I think only 3 of the 9 wins are on the road. And I think it's like 3 or 4 of those games that he won against teams with a winning record. The records were like... 2 of them were 8-7-1... And another one of the teams was nine and seven. He doesn't beat premier teams. He's not a premier quarterback. And the Rams have them are now in a situation with a seven and four record. They're multiple games uh, out of the West, and they're f- gonna be, end up fighting. I was gonna say fighting for a wild card spot, but the rest of the NFC is horrendous. I'm looking at the second place teams in the NFC: five and seven, five and six, five and six. So they'll get a playoff spot. But is this, are they now a Super Bowl contender, Tim? Are they a favorite to get out of the NFC? I don't think so because they hitched their wagon to a guy who has beaten nobody, who's any good, and has now lost three straight games uh, when they had to play good teams. The Rams it's- have one win this year against a team with a winning record. They're not good. He's not good. He's not the answer. They have no draft picks. I'm feeling slightly better about the Ravens playing them uh, in a couple of weeks. End of, end of what's bothering Antonio number two.
3: No, I mean, I I don't disagree. I think, you know, looking at the gambling stuff and I, I I'm so annoyed that I didn't pick it last week. And I don't know if the line had changed when I looked at it on Sunday, Packers at home in the snow against this soft all-star team, Packers were underdogs. It was Packers plus two. I mean, that's like stealing candy from a baby. I think in my opinion, because first of all, it's at Lambeau as it's frigid cold and Aaron Rodgers knows how to play in that. And I just don't think Stafford, even though he spent the years in the NFC North, really does, uh, playing in the dome. And and I think this team you mentioned the the one win they have against a team over five hundred, it was their Super Bowl. It was the first string of these games that we talked about, where it was they beat Tampa. Now look, there's gonna be a letdown. Then Arizona had it. It's gonna be a letdown. Watch this, cause they just beat the Rams. They gotta... And I always have trouble with these teams that try and build all-star rosters. And it's it's not – there's no science behind it, but I remember Vince Young, the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, calling them the dream team, and that team tanked. Everybody loves the Rams because look at the pieces. I mean, you even start on the offensive line, like where you win – the, the offensive defensive line where you lose and win football games. Aaron Donald – Maybe the best player in the league from a pure talent standpoint on one side, Andrew Whitworth, a solid, solid left tackle for years in this league. On the other side, you have a guy like Matt Stafford who, you know, you've railed against so we can move on, but you're dead right. You have Cooper Cup. You have Odell Beckham Jr. You have Jalen Ramsey. You have guys like this that you think are going to be so strong, but that, that – all-star team moniker that gets put on some of these teams I just think had leaves a bad taste for whatever reason and you just always have to bet against them to be a contender and and look McVeigh, great and people want to blow smoke up his butt over and over and over again and he probably deserves some of it to to his credit but I think and this is this is such an old football guy take and i understand that and as it as the thought is formulating in my head and then coming and it's about to spew out into this microphone i know people are gonna be like jesus christ tim calm down there's something about the boy wonder offensive genius thing that i'm just like that might not be like a good football coach i want my football coach hard-nosed and full of cliches Maybe a special teams coach in his past life, you know, a guy who's been around grit, grind, and loves doing curls with the boys. That's John Harbaugh. That's a football coach for you. Never talks in a a complete sentence. It's always about a cliche about grit and grind, making up team, you know, monikers. Play like a Raven. Yeah. the, The reason this podcast is named Pod Like a Raven, Play Like a Raven was a Harbaugh ism that he brought to the team. And you know what? I bought in Hook line and sinker because it actually means something it really does and and mcveigh doesn't seem like that kind of and this term is overused i know and i'm stealing it from way more popular podcasts than us he doesn't seem like a football guy you know what i mean like just a guy a guy that you want leading these men and it sounds antiquated i know and there's no statistics or, or anything behind it it's just a gut feeling of You have this guy who, who, again, is a good coach and knows what he's doing, but you have this guy that has this moniker of offensive genius and whiz kid and yada, 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 and then you bring together this all-star team, and then that, that coach, as you mentioned, gets rid of the quarterback he's super successful with because he's like, oh, he's not good enough for me, and brings in a guy he thinks is good enough for him, and it's not working right now. So, yeah, I mean, long story short, I'm with you. They are not a contender, and the only reason they might be is because, frankly, it's hard to find that many contenders in the NFL right now because everybody just seems either fine or bad.
2: The Ravens will play the Rams in Week Seventeen, the and ultimate and they'll week kick of the our season. butt. Yeah, in Baltimore, yeah, I, I, this uh, oh, Beckham's going to have like a, four touchdowns. That I mean, look, he had a great, he had a nice catch in this game, a nice touchdown catch late. You know, the classic. Uh, we're down twenty. Here's a nice touchdown by Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, but they had like a Beckham cam for this game. They were talking about every time he was on the field. He hasn't been relevant in five years. I I don't like it. Anyway, the Ravens will play them. Week 17, the 2nd of January. It's a 425 game. So for you listeners who go to the game, just prepare yourselves for that. Prepare when you go to the bank for that specific game for me. Bring your your loudest boos uh, and your biggest cheering for that January 2nd game against these fraud L.A. Rams. Frauds! <laughs> Elsewhere in the NFL, I have one more game that I want to talk about, and then, Tim, you can take uh, what you would like or what you watched. But I want to do this quickly because I don't like it. Uh, the Patriots keep winning. Uh, they handled the, the very injury-riddled Tennessee Titans. Um, I got to pull up the score. I thought I had it in front of me, But they, they won by 20. Uh, 36, 36 to 13. 36, 13. The Patriots are now eight and four. They've won five. Oh boy, six games in a row. Eight and four. They punted once in this game and they missed a field goal. And they scored on every other possession in in this game. Tannehill had 93 passing yards and an interception. And the Titans fumbled five times and, and lost three of them. And the Patriots, a Bill Belichick team, had zero turnovers. Uh, and they beat a winning team by over 20 points. So there are some concerns, Tim, uh, with the Patriots. They still have these two. They have a tough stretch here. They go at Bills, at Colts, and then home against the Bills. I suppose we're going to find out, you know, what happens in in their division with these two games uh, against the Bills, but spoiler alert, they're in my gambling section because they're dogs against the Bills this week, and... I think they're the better team, and I don't like that they have a competent young quarterback, a not senile Bill Belichick, and they've won one, two, three. It is, yeah, I had to count it again because I don't like it. It is six games in a row, uh, and they're looking dominant week in, week out.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't like to retread on old stuff, and you talked about the Patriots for enough time, so we're done with that, even though I agree with everything you said. I only have two more. Um, One coming with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, What happened, guys? They were up 24 to 14 at the end of the first half. They end up losing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady, who loves beating the Colts, which, you know, I'd have no love for Tom Brady, but I find it hilarious because I have less love for the Indianapolis Colts. 38-31, they cover. Thank you, Lenny Touchdowns, or Leonard Leonard four net as everybody on twitter made the same joke we get it four touchdowns four net no way we can we can all spell that's great um frank reich and carson wentz just i, I watched a lot of this game a lot more honestly in the first half than i did the second half first half i'm like wow the colts are rolling i had tampa in this game good on the colts maybe we have to start talking about them as a serious contender in the afc and look you know, the Buccaneers are very good, but then the Colts just Colts it. and they you keep talking about game. Well, they should have won that Monday night game against Baltimore. Well, they should have won this game. Yeah, they didn't, and that's the problem. You have to learn to close, and they just haven't. So I thought that was interesting. The only other one, too, um, I don't know if it says more about the Vikings or the 49ers, but for me, the 49ers, man, are kind of coming back after everybody wanted to, you know, dig Kyle Shanahan a grave and throw dirt on him. And three straight now, they win 34-26 over the Vikings. Debo Samuels being used as a running back, which is awesome. I love it because they are just ground pound and, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. All my favorite things about this beautiful game that we talk about each and every week here on Pod a Raven. And, you know, not the worst stretch here for the 49ers as well. At, excuse me, at Seahawks, we'll see uh, as we record this. They're about to play the football team on Monday night, and they are not good this season at the Bengals, tough game home against the falcons at the titans versus the texans at the rams so kind of a mixed bag in terms of results there and you mentioned some of the standings in, in the nfc you mentioned the five and six falcons in second place the five and six vikings in second place the 49ers sit third in the nfc west but they're six and five so i think that they could be a legit playoff team coming uh come in january and a team that honestly nobody would want to see with the way they run that football
2: all right, that's going to do it for our NFL section. We're going to do a little preview on the Ravens-Steelers. But first, Tim is up with this week's random Raven, and Jace is not in the house. Uh, the, the Statman himself is not in the house, so I'm a little nervous. I'm a little concerned. But, Tim, you may have done a little bit of uh, investigative journalism to, to bring Jace into this one.
3: What's really funny is that, and uh, Antonio, you, won't, you wouldn't know this, uh, it is 641 as we record this on the East Coast on Monday night. I just got a text at 641 from one J Evans that says, oh, I'm sorry I missed this. I'm probably too late. Is it? Um, so Jace, to, to let everybody else in on the joke, has guessed this random raven. We will reveal if he was uh, correct or we'll reveal his answer at the end. I'll read you the clues and then have a think about this too. I want you, I can tell you if he was right or wrong after I read the clues, and maybe that'll help or hurt. but I'll leave that one up to you, but let's get into the clues here because I know we are running a tad long here. Clue number one, this player was drafted in the fourth round by the Ravens in 2007 out of FIU. Clue number two. That's a bad start. Yeah, not a great start. Clue number two, during his three years in Baltimore, he featured in 38 games but never started one. He finished his time with the Ravens with 37 tackles, five sacks, and one interception. Clue number three. In 2010, he was traded to Philadelphia for a seventh-round pick, but was released just over a month later by the Eagles and then went to San Diego. He also played for the New York Jets during his eight-year career. Clue number four. With the Chargers, he shined as a pass-rushing specialist, totaling 18 and half sacks in 38 games, including 11 in his first full season with the team in 2011. His best career game, and this is right off the Wikipedia, his best career game came against the Ravens in 2011 on a primetime game in December in San Diego, where he sacked Joe Flacco four times and had a total of six tackles. Include number five, he wore number fifty, just like Justin Houston does this year. I have a name. Okay.
2: Uh, I'm, and I'm kind of proud of myself on this one. I'm not sure if I have the first name right, but I think I have the last name, or okay. I've combined three different players in my mind into one dude. But, uh, yeah, I gotta, I have a guess. Uh, did you say F I U? Is that F- where
3: he went? F I U. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is what I said there. I honestly, as I was reading the clues out, I laughed to myself because I went, this is way too hard. And I think the only reason I remember this player was because I used, to, I always used to play the Madden franchise modes. And this guy ended up being a stud for me, like in year three of a particular franchise mode. in I don't know, Madden 2008 or whatever it was. Um, and never ended up being, you know, that for the Ravens. But do you want to know if Jace got it before we move on? Do you want to know if Jace got it right or wrong? Or do you not uh, want to know? I, I-
2: I think he's all over it. You can you can tell me. I think he's all over this one.
3: He's all over it. Yeah. He's yeah.
2: Over it. yeah. So I'll say this at this Actually no, I'll save it. I'm going to save my explanation for uh for the end when we go through the uh for the actual answer. Tim. It's Steelers week. Oh, it is God. Steelers week. <laughs> Tim is rubbing his forehead. He's 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 concerned, uh, maybe rightly so. I think the most astute thing that either of us have said this podcast is the Steelers played poorly last week, so look out this week. Uh, and that is, what we, that is what we get to deal with as the Ravens travel to Pittsburgh for a four twenty five game. We've been talking for too long, so I'm going to keep this preview short. I have two questions for Tim, and one involves the Ravens offense and one involves the Ravens defense. And that's how we're going to do this before I list off a couple of intangibles and make my pick. Tim, we're going to start with the Ravens' offense against the Steelers' defense. TJ Watt, as of just a couple hours ago, placed on the reserve COVID list. Things we love to see. Uh, We don't know yet whether or not he will be able to play on Sunday. That is news that will come based on, I guess, him having uh, a bunch of negative results. It depends if he's been vaccinated or not, which we do not know. Thanks, Hippo. Um... But, but we will see in the next few days whether or not he plays in this game. But my question for you, Tim, is a very nuanced, it's, it's complex, and it's the following. Can Lamar clean things up? Can he avoid the turnovers? Can he take the six-yard completion? Can he just worry about moving the chains and not throw four interceptions, which may be enough to, to have this Ravens offense score enough points? Can Lamar clean things up? In Pittsburgh against their, I think, tough defense.
3: Yes, I do. I, I definitively yes. Um, you know, the TJ Watt thing is going to loom over this matchup all week. Uh, you know, uh, they have dangerous players. I make Micah Fitzpatrick, who is a ball hawk in the back end of that defense. You know, the defense. I still believe, and, and as I mentioned before, I wish the defense had a solid game against Joe Burrow because maybe they wouldn't be uh, getting hounded in practice this week before the Ravens come to town. Because I believe. They are going to be on their A game or as much of their A game as they can be without potentially TJ Watt uh, playing, which again, I think that could turn the tide for this. Um, But simply, I believe he cleans it up. But I also believe that he is going to need to play like the Lamar Jackson we've seen for most of the year for the Ravens to win this football game as well. That is a different question than not throwing four picks. Can he make the plays against this defense that he needs to make, especially with A run game that, look, let's just predict it based on what we've seen this season, will virtually not be there. Um, That's a different question. Uh, But, yes, I think – remember, he didn't play last week. It was Tyler Huntley against Chicago. He's going to – the rust will be knocked off. It won't be a primetime game. He knows he's asked to get better. I believe he will get better. But how much better will he get? That will help determine if the Ravens uh, come out of Heinz Field with the win or – we continue to rub our foreheads as we do this podcast next week, and they're you know talking about another Pittsburgh loss.
2: Yeah, we haven't seen a good performance from Lamar in, o- in over a month uh, at this point. So I have I have concerns. I have doubts. W- wouldn't uh, an early touchdown drive just be amazing? That would for this be team? so cool, Tim. A seven so to cool. nothing lead. Wouldn't that be awesome in a game they never trailed? Uh, against the Browns, still couldn't score any points and only had six at halftime and no touchdowns. Lamar, that first drive, conservatively try to push the ball, try to move things around, try to score a touchdown. Seven nothing. The Ravens at seven nothing are an entirely different beast than the Ravens down seven nothing. We all know this. Let's try to get that first drive touchdown, which has not happened. What's happened once uh, all season? Uh, Let's try to get that again. Defensively, Tim, which I'm now more excited about after seeing a clean game from this Ravens defensive unit. I think Marlon Humphrey is going to be matched up on Chase Claypool all game. I love that matchup. I think that is maybe one of the premier, just in terms of fun corner receiver matchups. We had Jalen Ramsey. Um, going against uh, Devontae Adams last week. that That's a tasty matchup. I like Humphrey on Chase Claypool because it's two dudes who just want to be physical with the other guy the entire game. There's going to be three pass interference calls with the two of them in this game. Two will be on Humphrey and one yeah. will be on Claypool. That's my prediction. But I like that matchup. I love Bowser and Owe on the outside getting sacks on a quarterback who literally cannot move. But from the Steelers' perspective, who scares you from the Pittsburgh offense? What matchup are you most afraid of going into this game?
3: Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson on third and four gets four and a half. Deontay Johnson on third and seven, they throw a screen pass to him and somehow he gets eight. Deontay Johnson on third and 16, it's a slant over the middle that for some reason wasn't covered as as Ben Roethlisberger in his final game against the Ravens in Heinz Field, by the way, there's your intangible Antonio, gets some sort of shimmy shake, shakes off the defender, throws a lob to Deontay Johnson right over the fingertips of Patrick Queen, and it goes for 50 yards, and it sets up a game-winning field goal. Deontay Johnson, for me, is the guy. He, he is uh, Juju Smith-Schuster light, obviously Smith-Schuster out for the year. But he is that guy that that Roethlisberger is going to be going to over and over and over again because Roethlisberger doesn't necessarily have the arm talent to get it downfield. I love your point on Claypool, but I do think Humphrey will do a good enough job on him, and uh, let's see if Anthony Averett can do the same on Deontay Johnson. I think he has a big game. You know, if you're playing in a PPR fantasy league, points per reception. Deontay Johnson might have 11 for. It could be anywhere from 50 <laughs> to 150 yards, but he's going to have a ton of catches. And um, so that that guy worries me. And then, too, I mean, you mentioned the tight ends last week. We have to mention Pat Fryermuth, the rookie tight end for the, the Steelers, has been very good for them this year. Um, you know, I think they only draft guys that they can shout a single syllable at because they're not original and stole the Todd Heap thing, even though they never want to say it. They went, Heap. Heath, it's the same thing. And they just say Heath is their own thing now. It's not. It was a Todd Heap thing before a Heath Miller thing. Get original, Pittsburgh. Come on. Nobody cares about your towels. Um, Pat Fryermuth is has been very, very good for them. A big target. Somebody that they're going to have to eliminate as well. But So, you know, 1-1-A one, one for me, I guess. But Deontay Johnson is the, is the guy that scares me most.
2: We said last week, can the Ravens keep Nick Chubb under 100 yards? They did that by... Uh, dozens and dozens of yards by like 70 yards let's try to stop Deontay Johnson let's keep him under 75 yards receiving Tim Uh, and that may spell a successful day for the Ravens defense I got a couple of intangibles and I like all of them Um, and they're all based on Pittsburgh the Steelers this year give up more points than they score And mind you, after all this, they're a 500 team. They are the definition of a 500 team. They're 5, 5, and 1 with their lovely tie against the Detroit Lions. They give up more points than they score. They give up 24.3. They only score 20. They give up more yards than they gain. They have a minus 47 yard difference between how many yards they give up in a game and how many yards they gain. They have a slow, banged up, quarterback who was having one of the worst seasons of his career has the lowest qbr which i teased early in this episode has the worst qbr of his career at this moment if you exclude the one and a half games that he played two years ago so i'm not i'm not counting that but he's been rough he's been slow almost everything is underneath let us not forget the fourth and ten swing pass he threw to Najee harris That's a quarterback who's at a certain point in his career where he's just not pushing it downfield. He's not slinging it, and there's a reason for it. And it's either his health or just his physical abilities at this point. The Ravens used to lose these Pittsburgh games because he would break sacks. He would break tackles, roll out, and throw the ball 50 yards downfield for a touchdown. He can't really do that anymore. And I have loved, we've talked about it enough times during this episode, Owe has just, every game, he's better and more aggressive and stronger and knocking big dudes over. Bowser has done some good stuff. I think they are they haven't had to rely on the blitz. They did not have to rely on the blitz as much in that Browns game because of the pressure that they were getting off the edge. I think they do the same thing. They don't have to blitz the Steelers. They're able to get pressure um, with just four, and that helps in terms of Roethlisberger. Not completing, you know, forty passes in one game. I can't believe I'm saying this. I've been wrong on the Ravens all year. I was wrong again this week, somehow. Uh they were four and a half point favorites against the Browns, and all of us took that Browns we all knew the Ravens would win, but we thought the Browns would cover, and of course the Ravens tack on a late field goal to make it a six point game, so I lose that. I've been wrong all year on the Ravens. I'm I'm going I'm going with my gut on this. Uh, because it's been so good over the last two and a half months. The line is Ravens by three and a half in Pittsburgh, Tim. And I'm taking it. I'm even I'm even stuck with that extra half point. But I'm taking them anyway. I think Lamar bounces back. He has a habit of doing that. I think he bounces back from the performance that he had against Cleveland. I think Roethlisberger's sacked three to four times in this game. I think it's ugly from him. And the Ravens win by more than three and a half points. I'm going to finish up my gambling section, and then I'll let Tim do his uh, his last few minutes on the Steelers game. I was 2-1 last week. Uh, I won the Patriots pick and the Tampa Bay pick, and I lost the Ravens pick because, of course, 2-1. This week, I'm sticking with these Ravens at minus three and a half. I'm taking the Cowboys at minus four and a half. They're traveling to New Orleans on a Thursday night. On a short week, the Saints, apparently, are going to turn to Taysom Hill, the legendary 37-year-old backup quarterback. Not 37. I think he's just like 30 or 31. He's not that good. There's a reason that he has not been their starter yet and that they went with Trevor Simeon. Simeon has looked bad. Apparently, reports, early reports, are that Taysom Hill is going to make the start. And I don't think he's any good. The Cowboys are going to get uh, Amari Cooper back in theory, from uh, the two games he's missed because of COVID. They might get CeeDee Lamb back with the concussion issues that he's had. Uh, I don't believe... Tim, do you know if he played uh, in their Thanksgiving day? No,
3: CeeDee Lamb Lamb did not play, but he has returned to practice fully. Amari Cooper is supposed to follow him.
2: Boom. I love that. I love Cowboys at minus 4.5. They win this game by 14 points. I think this line is too low, uh, and I'm just not afraid of anybody on New Orleans at this point. And then I'm I mentioned this earlier in the episode, New England travels to Buffalo in a prove it game for both of those teams, who is going to take control of the AFC East? And New England winners of 6 straight are 3-point dogs in Buffalo. It's going to I'm going to hate it, but I'm taking the Patriots. I'm getting free points. This line should be even. The Bills have not beaten anybody good. I get 3 free points to play with. And I think the Pats Pats win this outright. So New England plus three, Dallas minus four and a half. And then the Ravens, this is the week. The Ravens minus three and a half.
3: So for the loyal listener, we have a document. You know, this show is actually organized, and Antonio organizes most of it. As you can tell from the ramblings of Jason and I, it doesn't sound like that all the time, but here we are. We have a document that we put together, some of our thoughts. And uh, I will just say I did not look at Antonio's picks while making mine. And as we record, I just finished mine up. I'll go quickly here because I also have Dallas minus four and a half away to New Orleans. Go, and I also have New England plus three away to the Bills on Monday Night Football. Listener,
2: what does that tell you? What does that tell? These are two lock them in. These are two lock them in picks.
3: And as we're about to find out with the next pick, Antonio the Optimist, Tim the Pessimist. But we'll get to that in just a second with Dallas. They've lost two straight. They've lost three or four. Maybe they're not the team everybody thought they was, but they—they they were, excuse me. But they get some guys back, and they need this game to get back on track. They have to have it. They have to against Taysom Hill. That defense is is proved to maybe not be completely fixed, but again, it's Taysom Hill. Like let's let's stop with this. Four and a half is is an insult to Dallas, even on a short week. They have to blow them out of the water here. Um, I. Admittedly, I thought it was Simeon before uh, Antonio said anything. I like it even better that it's Taysom Hill. Give me Dallas minus four and a half. You said everything about New England. I hate it. Um, they have that inevitability about them now that they're going to win these big games. And the Bills maybe won't. And the Bills maybe are a bit scared of, of the big dad coming in on a big, excuse me, Monday night football game. And then uh, as I tease, the half point got me. Pittsburgh plus three and a half Ravens win. It's the bet that I've made. A lot of the year, I patted on Cleveland as well last week, ended up losing that, thank God. Um, you know, it was the six points. I think this is another knockout, drag-out fight that the Ravens come on top uh, and win, but they win by one, they win by two, or they win by three. They do not win by four. So give me Pittsburgh plus three and a half.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, the, the two non-Ravens picks were, were on the same boat. Lock those in raven Steelers unlock it it's gonna be gross i'm gonna hate large stretches of it and we will see uh, we'll see if the ravens win by three or if they win by four because that is inevitably how this game will end up going all right tim last thing to do here is go over this random raven one more time i have a name i'm feeling good about it i think the first name is right uh, as i've digested this but can you give the listener the clues one more time
3: Yeah, Uh, so clue number one, this player was drafted in the fourth round uh, by the Ravens in 2007 out of FIU. During his three seasons in Baltimore, he featured in 38 games but never actually started a game. He finished his time with the Ravens uh, with 37 tackles, five sacks, and an interception. Uh, In 2010, he was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for a seventh-round pick but was released just over a month later and then went to San Diego. Uh, Later in his career, he also played for the New York Jets – number four, when he was in San Diego with the Chargers, he shined as a pass rush specialist, totaling 18 and a half sacks in 38 games, including 11 in his first full season with the team in 2011. His best career game came that same year against his former team, the Baltimore Ravens, on December December 18th in a primetime game in San Diego where he had four sacks on Joe Flacco and a total of six tackles. And clue number five, he wore number 50, just like Justin Houston did this season i had mentioned that jace did nail it but because he's not here obviously antonio you get the guess who is this random Raven?
2: so the the philly thing is what i was going to mention earlier in this episode the 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 flag that went up is oh could that be timmy jernigan but he wasn't traded to philly tim he just signed with philly Mm -hmm. as a free agent so it's not timmy who then, and that's why I asked about FIU because Timmy Jernigan was Florida State, so I was like, all these things were lining up. Well, correct, but it's not Timmy Jernigan, Tim. It's Antoine Barnes, the the FIU product who then uh, did good things with the Chargers.
3: It is Antoine Barnes. Congratulations, Woo! very nice job. And, and as I mentioned, Jace had it as well. So congrats to him.
2: I uh, I was rusty the the last couple of picks. so I'm glad to get. Uh, Glad to get back on that random Raven train with Antoine Barnes. Um, all right, Tim, two-man booth. I think we did okay this week. Uh, if the listener agrees, let us know so that we can yell at Jace about it. Happy birthday to you, man, and we'll see Jace next week as we are talking all positives about the Ravens against the Pittsburgh Steelers this Sunday at 425. I'm excited for Steeler Week. We will see how it goes in Pittsburgh for Tim Horsey. And in theory, J. Evans. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week.